0: morning again, everybody. Let me ask you a question as we get going this morning. What comes to mind when you hear the name of Nobel? You t- probably think of the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Uh, let me tell you, yeah, a little gold star next to each of your names this morning. That was awesome. Well, let me tell you, there's some controversy over whether this really happened or not. Go with me on it about this alleged story uh, about where this came from. It, one morning in 1888, um, Alfred Nobel, inventor of dynamite, uh, awoke to read his own obituary. As far as we think, is true. The obituary was printed as a result of a simple journalistic error. You see, it was Alfred's brother that actually had died, but due to uh, kind of a reporting error or whatever, uh, they reported the death of the wrong brother. Mm-hmm. So he woke up to read his own obituary, and he got a glimpse into how the world saw him. And here's, here's, here's how they saw him as the dynamite king. This is what it said. The merchant of death is dead. That was the headline. The guy that invented dynamite is dead. And it went on to talk about, um, it says this, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Can you imagine the horror of waking up, reading your obituary, and realizing this is how the world saw you? It was jarring, to say the least, to him, and so he, from that moment forward, he resolved to make clear to the world the true meaning of his life, which was not, he was not going to leave behind a legacy of death and destruction, a legacy maybe fueled by his own passions and desires for riches and fame and success, but instead, he, he wanted to leave behind a legacy, a positive legacy. For the world, and so he, with his uh, in his will, with kind of the last years of his life, set up this endowment, five different prizes, right, five annual prizes for outstanding contribution to fit in the area of so physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and of course, peace. This would be the legacy he'd leave, and so these days he he got to re- a chance to rewrite his legacy. These days, when we think of Nobel, we think of fascinating uh, to me. Uh, again, what parts of it are true or false, are, I have no idea. But the idea of it is, is amazing because for most of us, we don't really think about our lives that way. Most of us don't really think about legacy. We don't really think about uh, longevity in life. We kind of just live our lives day to day, today. But he had a chance to, to, to sit back and say, well, this is how I've led my life to this point, And it's not working out super well. This is not how I envisioned my one and only life being spent. How about you? I wonder if we could step back, I know it's not something that we tend to think about, if we could for a moment just kind of step back and look at the patterns of our lives, I wonder how many of us would be satisfied with the the legacy, so to speak, that we are leaving behind, with the kind of pattern that we are setting for our lives, our futures, the way we're spending our one and only life on this planet. I wonder how, how, what kind of picture we're painting to those who are closest to us, to our friends and to our family members, our coworkers. Or whatever. What kind of legacy and impact are we having on those around us? Are they looking at us going, man, it's just really all about him. It's really just all about what he wants or she wants or what they, they're living. If it's them and their family, nothing else. Or is there something more? Or do they look at you and say, man, there's something different. The way they love, the way way they shine, the way they talk about God, that there's something different about them. Something that reflects the glory of another. Something that that is about the the betterment of those around them as they lift them up to God. Man, man. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be more than just me. I want it to be more than just a negative, self-centered kind of thing. I wonder if us, if you and I, like Nobel, need to do some course corrections to make sure that the imprint that we're leaving on those around us is how it should be. We're on our third and final week of a series, a little short series we've been doing here called Faithful, Faith-Full, Full full of Faith, dealing with this whole idea of staying consistent and steadfast over the long haul, of doing sort of the right things from a God perspective, again and again and again, all the days of our lives. It's a value that I don't think... we embrace real strongly as a culture or as a country. We're more into the instant gratification, sort of easy, sort of just go with the flow kind of stuff of life, rather than learning to truly walk by faith and trusting God and following Him over the long haul. But but make no mistake about it, faithfulness is what you and I is. If you're a follower of Jesus, faithfulness is what you and I are called to every day of our lives. It's what God desires from us, right? It's how life works best. It's where the good stuff comes from. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is meant to be part of the fruit and part of the legacy that we leave behind in our lives. A consistent life lived full of faith in the one who has called us, the one who leads us, the one who saved us and filled us in the life. Today, I want us to wrap up the series by looking at this passage written by the apostle Paul, uh, and I would say it's very similar to what we just talked about with Nobel, but Paul, in some of his last words, he urges us to finish well, to live lives that are full of faith and to leave behind us a legacy of peace and life and faithfulness through Christ. And I think God's got a ton of, it's been a great passage for me to sit in all week. I think God's got a lot of great stuff to teach all of us, no matter your age, no matter uh, your circumstance, no matter where you're at with God or where you're at in life. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you open them up to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We're going to actually focus in really primarily on one verse, but I want you to get the context of the flow of this passage. So we'll read that here in a second. And you can also follow on the screens if you want. It's also on the Ignite Church app. There's a place for notes. There's scripture in there if you want to refer back to it even later in the week. That way you can find it really easy. But, but here's, here's the deal. Second Timothy is really Paul's swan song, right? It's, it's the last letter that he, that, that he writes to the churches, and specifically to a young leader, by, that's known as Timothy. Timothy at this stage is probably in his late twenties, maybe early thirties, something like that. He's been an apprentice to Paul for probably 14 years at this point, and Paul—these are some of the, the things that Paul is passing on to this young leader named Timothy. And I, Man, I think it's great words for us. He's passing on wisdom and instructions to his apprentice about how Timothy can live a life full of faith, how he can live well and, and minister after Paul is gone. So here's what he says, 2 Timothy 4, 1-8. He says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, he says, Preach the word, he says to Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Can I just say, I'm just going to pause for a second. That doesn't happen in our culture today, does it? In a day when we have access to every single teacher imaginable right here, some people, I mean, that, that's in fact, a lot of us, right, that's what we do. We find people who say what we want to hear, and we listen to them, and we listen to them, and we listen to them. Sometimes we stick our fingers in our ears like a kid and say, lah. we don't really want to hear what God has to say to us. We just, want to hear, sure. we just want to hear what our itching ears want to hear again and again and again. So he goes on. He says they'll, they'll uh, turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Verse 5, listen to this. But you, Timothy, but you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have been faithful, he says. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I get goosebumps reading this, by the way. This is, yeah. it's an amazing passage, and it's a sort of, I, mean, I love it, but we're going to zero in really on verse verse five, but uh, verses five through eight, but let me just start with the big picture here, because here, Paul's putting on a clinic for how we are to live our lives well, of how to live a life that is faith. Full to the Lord, to what He has called us to do until the end. He's teaching how to finish our lives well, how to run our race well. He's giving Timothy instructions saying, These are my instructions for you so that you can run your race, so that you too can have a crown waiting for you, how you can leave a legacy, a God honoring, faithful, God filled legacy to those around you, so that one day you too will be welcomed home here. The words well done good and faithful service so there will be reward waiting for you so that you can run your race and finish well. You've got to learn to be faithful. Well, the imagery that, God, that Paul's using here in uh, this passage, really, it's, it's, it's peppered throughout, but it's of, of the Olympics, sort of an Olympic kind of competition, of running uh, to win, of running a race that's before you, of wrestling, all this kind of stuff, receiving your crown, your medal, your reward at the end. Got me thinking, I ran across this story this week, which is a true story, amazing, jaw-dropping kind of story. In 1968, the Olympics were held in Mexico City. And the last runner to finish the marathon was a guy from Tanzania. And during the race, he literally had broken his leg. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. But he'd stumbled. fell. he was bruised. He was beaten up. He was bloody. And his leg was broken. After everybody else had finished the race, everyone else had crossed the finish line. and so much time had elapsed that most of the crowd from the Olympic Stadium had gone home. There's only about six or 7,000 people left in the stadium when this guy comes hobbling in. I don't know if you can see not. His leg is taped up and wrapped up. He comes hobbling back into the stadium to do his final lap around the track and to finish. And I mean, the, at that point, when those in, in the arena still realized what was happening, they stood to their feet, they gave him a standing ovation, they cheered him on, Right, that kind of thing. And this guy finished the race. Later, some of the reporters pulled him aside and said, what were you thinking? Like, when you broke your leg, when you you know when you fell and you're all bloodied and beat up, when you're in pain with every single step. Why didn't you just quit? Why didn't you just give up? And here's what, this is this quote. It's up here. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. Isn't that a great quote? Yeah. That's sort of what Paul is getting at here. Paul is saying, live your life like that. Run the race of life. Not just, not just when it's easy, not just whatever, but run in such a way that you finish well. Right? Not just not just here, but like that you run your race day after day. That you are faithful to the Lord. You're faithful to what he's called you to. You're faithful to the mission of Jesus and living for the glory of Jesus. Live that way day in and day out. Easy times and hard times. Good days and bad till the end. Make sure you run your race in such a way that you finish what you started. Love that. Love that. Run the race of faith. I run the race of life like that, clinging to Jesus. And he says, I have fought the good fight. Sort of the imagery there is one of literally of Olympic wrestling. He's saying, I've wrestled my way through life to finish well. I have I've been fighting day in and day out to stay close to Jesus, to know him, to align my life with his. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I have lived my life with this help. Help! I've struggled and I've strained to cooperate with the Spirit, and I I've done my best to be faithful. And He says, and now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, right? Which is which is the the ancient kind of picture of a medal, right? That we do these days. We have this thing. Remember, you stand up front, and they, they lower your flag and play the national anthem, and then the guy comes and he puts a he puts a medal around your neck and you receive it. In that day, they put a crown. On your head. That's the imagery. He says, Now there is in store for me a reward, a crown, which the Lord will give to me. But not just to me. He says, That is awaiting every single Christ follower that runs the race, right? That that runs the race. There is in store for you a crown of righteousness. We'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know. There's something cool. There's something powerful. About this imagery, this call to be faithful, this call to finish our race well, to fight the good fight of faith, to wrestle through, discipline yourselves, do whatever you have to do to stay close to and passionate for Jesus and his kingdom. Don't settle for anything less. I was thinking this week, I'm, I'm kind of a, a chess geek. In, uh, in fact, my <laughs> son Jonathan and I like to play. He beat me for the first time recently. <laughs> and I'm just, Yeah, yeah. Donna's got bragging rights for the moment, but I'm coming for you. But, uh, but it, it's one of those things that, that we love to play. It, it, I've, I've played it since, I don't know, since I was a kid. And uh, I love it. But if you read uh, much on, on the topic of chess, uh, you realize that what the experts say is that there's actually a fairly limited number of opening moves, right? There's the, the Generally, most people, there's a there's a, a predictable kind of way to, to, to start the game, right? You're either going to start by moving a pawn. Or by moving a anybody? Knight, right? The the second move is gonna be the same. It's gonna be probably moving again, either a pawn or a knight. there's there's a certain, there's a limited subset of opening moves, and likewise, there's a limited set of strategies of ways you end, that you put the king in check, right? In checkmate. And and you either you take out pieces, you know, like the ladder strategy, right, where you kind of just Take somebody to the corner. And you limit them, and you put them in check. And there's a certain number of limited moves that they call an end game, right? So your beginning moves are pretty a pretty su- a small subset. Your ending moves a pretty small subset. What experts say is that chess in chess, the game is won or lost in what they call the middle game. It's not it's not typically how you start, and it's not typically how you finish that makes a huge difference. It's typically what happens in the middle. And if I can't just say, man, I'll pause for just a second and say there's When it comes to Christendom, it's it's not really that hard to start well. Right? It's not that hard to start well. I mean, if there, in fact, in our church, right around 50% of us have come to Christ in uh, in, in, at Ignite in the last five years, and we we've, we've started to, to open up God's word. We started to regularly come to worship, we've we've opened up our heart to Jesus, we're experiencing more of his love and his presence and his forgiveness. We're starting to learn to follow him, opening up his book, and saying, you know, I'm gonna put this into practice. So there's life change, there's transformation that's happening. We've started well, and that's awesome. But in order for us to finish well, we have to be faithful in the middle game, you know what I'm saying, we have to be faithful in following Jesus, right, in growing in him, in surrendering to him, day after day, after day, after day, in these middle years, and I'm not necessarily talking age, right, I'm just in this era, right, I mean, in this era between when we first come to Christ, and once we've, you know, we've been following Jesus, we, we interviewed a couple people last week, right, Lee, with been following Jesus for seventy years, right? Probably he, chances are he's going to finish well at this point, right? But what happens in between there makes all the difference in the world. So today I want us to kind of zero in. I'm going to zero in on 2 Timothy four, chapter uh, verse five, chapter four, verse five, and because uh, I think Paul has uh, some cool things that he says to young Timothy about uh, how he can live well in that middle game, how he can be faithful to the Lord, to those around him in order to finish well, all right? We're just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of jump through, and most of it, like, is not rocket science. It's pretty much a quote out of the text for each part. So uh, so we're gonna start here. The first thing that he says about how to stay faithful to young Timothy, he says, be self-controlled. In, in the NIV, it says, keep your head in all situations. In the old uh, NIV, it says, be self-controlled. In the ESV, it says, be sober-minded. But it's all talking about the same thing. Paul starts out by telling Timothy to to be self-controlled, to be on the alert, to be ready, to think biblically, not to just get swept away by religion or culture or what your friends think or whatever else. Don't get entangled or lured into sin. Don't just be lulled into apathy. Don't settle when it comes to your spiritual life. Be on your watch. Be on your game. Keep your eyes open. Be alert and self-controlled. Because your enemy would love to take you out, right? He, loved, he would love to just take you out for your little game. And sometimes I think when we're tired and we're busy and we're distracted, when we're stressed, nobody in, in this room ever falls into that category, right? Sometimes when we're, when we're just crazy busy and stressed, we take our eyes off the prize. When we quit thinking about how to, how to stay faithful to the Lord, we lower our gaze and it's so easy us to stumble. It's so easy for us to get taken out. If we're not sober-minded, right? if we're not self-controlled, if we're not on the lookout, it's so easy to and do things that would keep us from finishing well. You know, Red, I actually heard a great sermon, um, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. It's talking about Revelations chapter 3, um, and it kind of dug into some of the the historical background of it. It's a, it's, it's a letter written to the, the church in Sardis, uh, which, again, you're like, wah, wah, wah. What, what are you talking about? But well, Stick with me. Uh, the, the crazy thing about this is this is a walled city. It was built into the side of a mountain. It was considered indestructible in that day, right? theres I mean, like, people, armies would come and try to attack them. They couldn't bust in through this enormous wall or, or come around back behind this mountain. There's no way through. And so archers would come up on top of the wall and easily pick off the attacking army and it stood. And like I said, it was considered impenetrable for years and years and years and years. In fact, so much so that the people of this city of Sardis started to get a little apathetic. They started to think, man, we are invincible, right? This, nobody could get through that wall. And so they, they kind of started slacking off. They, they stopped keeping watch. In fact, overnight, they no longer had soldiers that patrolled the top of the wall. And, uh, and there's two different times uh, over the course of a hundred years. Two different times when the city fell because soldiers, an attacking army, would sneak in overnight, manage to get somebody up on the wall, come over, open up the gate, and the thing was burned, and victory was had. Simply because they weren't keeping watch. And so God uh, writes a letter, right? <laughs> Jesus writes a letter to this church and says, "Man." Uh, in a similar way If you don't wake up If you don't keep watch He says It's going to be bad for you spiritually He's no longer talking about the city as a whole He's talking about their own souls Because Christianity has now come to Sardis right? People have been, uh, had a chance to respond to the gospel he says, hey, Don't be lulled to sleep In the same way that you have with your city And watch it burn to the ground Don't live your life like that He says instead Would you keep watch Right? would you be alert would you be self-controlled would you would you manage and watch your own life your own heart your own soul carefully through this middle game so that you can finish well and I think that's what Paul's getting out here right that's what he's telling us Paul says be ready keep watch be self-controlled be on your guard don't get tripped up. By sin, don't, don't simply shortchange yourself by getting lazy or apathetic or just ceasing to keep watch. But keep a careful, close eye on your own heart, your own soul. Like I started to say a little bit ago, I think for, for many of us, we've started well spiritually. But boy, we're in the middle game now, right? We're in, in the middle game. And there's, uh, there's opportunities all around us, things that are vying for our attention, our distraction. It's so easy for us to fall. Control. Would you keep an eye on that? There's lots of ways that can play out, right? You're a college student. You move away from home, you had your faith as a kid, and you started well, you became your own, you started growing up, started taking some steps, but now it's gonna be tested. You you moved out, it's it's a whole different deal. There's a lot of college students that are not living for Jesus these days, right? You're gonna be tested, keep keep watch, keep an eye. On that. Maybe your maybe your own family. Maybe it's stressful. It's hard at home, and it's I mean stuff is not going well. Your marriage is is more about conflict than about uh, stroking your ego or about things going well or just harmony and peace and love all the time, right? It's it's a little different, and you're tempted to either check out or start looking elsewhere to get what you need. Man, be on your guard. Be self-controlled. Be aware. Maybe just, maybe even just, uh, you know, you you started growing. You started putting some of this, uh, some of these spiritual disciplines into practice in your life. You're you're starting to get to know who God is and his plans for you. Start to open up your book, you know, his book and start reading it and putting it into practice. You might be tempted because of busyness or distraction just to put that aside Just I think I've got enough. I think I'm good. control. You with me? we're sitting there? I was thinking uh, this week, I'll just say this real quick and then I'll move on, but man, and I've mentioned it before, but I've been around, I've been doing ministry for, I don't know, 20-some years, and, um, and it's always amazing to me to get to hang out with people that are older than me, that have been walking with the Lord longer. You know what I've never heard once? Over the, over the course of 20-some of years, I've never heard somebody say, oh, man, I decided to follow Jesus. I decided to grow in my faith. I decided to put him in the number one spot. I decided to live for him and his glory and his goodness. I decided to follow him and regret it. I have never once heard that. Never. But you know what I've heard again and again and again and again? I've heard it hundreds of times. I mean, I can't even imagine how many times I've heard this. I've heard so many people say, Oh, man, if only I could go back and undo this, right? if, only, if only I could go back and undo these words that came out of my mouth or this decision that I made to turn away from God and go my own way. If only I could go back and undo that era where I lowered my eyes, I took it off the prize and off of God, and, off, and I turned and went my own way. If only I could, I could go back and undo that, it would save me so much and saved me so much heartache and saved me so much pain. We see, we've see. we heard person after person after person that's come to Christ. It, it, it's a normal thing. This is oftentimes what happens. They'll say, oh, man, if only I would have known and heard that 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, oh, that would have changed everything for me. It would have changed everything. Now, again, in the grand scheme of things, you got to chalk that up to God's sovereignty a little bit, right? All, all this kind of stuff. But I've never once heard, heard somebody say, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have opened up my heart and life to Christ. There, there's they're always joyful. There's always celebration. There's always that when we choose to follow and be faithful and we run to win. We run the race that's before us with God. All right, right, third people. both. Second one. So the first thing he says is be self-controlled. The second thing he says is endure hardship. And that's a quote right out of the text, right? Endure hardship. This one has to do with enduring hardship as you follow Jesus. And sometimes just, uh, sometimes even because you're following Jesus, and sometimes just in life in general, enduring hardship. There's a, there's a story written by John Bunyan uh, called The Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you might have read it or seen a movie. The movie came out, I don't know, a year or two ago uh, about this kind of thing. But the whole thing sort of an allegory. It's a metaphor, if you will, about the life and the struggles that believers have on their journey towards heaven. And so there's the, – the main character in this uh, book is, uh, is not surprisingly a, a young man by the name of Christian, right? What do you suppose he represents? <laughs> but anyway, like a young man named Christian, and he's, he's on this journey from the city of destruction to his heavenly destination, which is called the Celestial City. And along the way, uh, Christian hooks up with a companion, and they start, they're, they're walking along on this journey, and they come to this swamp that is called despair. And they both end up following, falling into this big bog called despair, and they struggle in it for a while. Both of them are carrying big burdens, and so as they struggle, they start sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into it. One of them is companion. Manages to get out, but rather than helping Christian out, he turns away from the path of life and instead just flees back home to where he came from. Christian then is left to struggle all alone in this boggy, muddy hole until a man comes whose name is Help. <laughs> you know, I, it's not tricky names, right? <laughs> but he, this guy named Help comes along, he kindly pulls him and frees him from the pit and sets him on solid ground. And Christian asks this guy by the name of Help he says, why? Why? Right? Why is this happening? Why is this place here? Why has it not been mended? Why has it not been fixed? Why isn't there a bridge that's built over it to keep poor travelers uh, more secure on their journey? And Helper this. He says, This miry swamp is such a place as cannot be mended in this life, but only to be traveled through. And I read that, and it's both frustrating, <laughs> but it rings true. And I'm like, you know, there's some things in life that are just hard. And, and, and we don't necessarily always have answers as to why. Some things, sometimes you go to a doctor and you get a, a, a diagnosis that's just hard. And you don't know what to do with it. And you struggle and you're like, I don't know what to do. Why is this so hard? Sometimes you get betrayed or hurt in this life. Right? And, and you might stumble back and it starts asking and we start asking questions like, God, why would you allow this kind of thing? Sometimes people get sick and die, and it's just hard, and we, it puts us in this bog of despair. And we start asking questions like, why, why are we going through this? And I, we're not going to dig into this and get a whole huge uh, a huge theological treaty on this or anything, but, but I do have to say two things. I think number one is, is just a reminder that God makes it abundantly clear to all of us. That there, we, we in this life we don't necessarily always understand the answer to the question why? We don't always get it, but we do we are reminded again and again and again and again that He is with us, right? Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist says, I'll oh, fear no evil, for you are with me. I think sometimes Not an answer, but sometimes we just need to be reminded of his his reassuring presence that's with us. That he is good, he is present, that he is at work, that he is uh, sometimes at work even healing and binding up our wounds, making his presence and his peace and his comfort known, even when we don't understand why. He's working out his will, his good and perfect will in our lives, even when we don't understand why. And I think that's why Paul says, but when, when hard things happen, when there is hardship that bust into your world, he says, endure it. It's tempting for us to get completely sidetracked and where we can get angry at God and we can start blaming God. And we can start pushing him away. It's like, you did this. But, but Paul says, Man, don't get taken out by hardship. He says, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Instead, Endure it. Walk through it with Jesus, right? Endure it. Keep walking. If you want to finish your race, if you want to finish well, if you want to have a, a, a crown of righteousness in store for you, it's going to require enduring hardship in the middle game. It just is. Again, okay, we can spend more time on that and will in the future. But for today, let me just say, I wonder if there's stuff going on in your, in your world and in your life that you're wrestling with. Like all of us do it sometimes, right? And and it's it's easy just to wrestle that question. Why? And I wonder if God just doesn't want us to shift our focus back and say, like Job, right? I hate to quote Job, but but like like Job, whatever says, though slay slain, yet will I trust in him. Or where the disciples say, Man, or Jesus says, are you going to leave too to the, the disciples? The disciples say, where else can I go? You are the one who has eternal life. We may not understand everything that you're doing, but we know that you're good. We know that you're with us, and so we will endure hardship and keep following and keep walking with you. We'll keep being faithful. Even if it doesn't make sense. Third thing is this. Live the mission. I love this, right? Verse 5. Again, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, I'm not going to dive into this much because we spent weeks talking about this uh, in our last series, right? Talking about uh, living the Great Commission. But one of Paul's last commands to Timothy here echoes the words of Jesus to live out the mission, to go and make disciples, to point other people to Christ, right? To help other people come into the kingdom and grow up and be set back out on mission. This is a significant key to finishing well. It motivates us. It keeps us, uh, our perspective, locked in on eternity and what matters most in this life. It spurs us on, doesn't it? When we stay focused and get involved in the mission of Jesus, of seeing his kingdom come and his will be done, seeing his gospel, his good news about Jesus move forward, and disciples get made and raised up and sent out, man, it keeps us on mission, it keeps us focused on running our race well to the finish line to the very end. So the fourth thing I'll hit is this. Be faithful to your calling and to the Lord. This is verse 5 and verse 7. It says, Discharge all the duties of your ministry, Paul tells Timothy. He goes on and says, As for me, I have kept the faith. I have been faithful to the Lord and to the calling. The fourth thing the Apostle Paul tells Timothy and us about finishing well is to make sure that we are faithful to the calling God has given us into the Lord. This one has to do with simply following Jesus, right? Simply what he's calling us to do, do. Where he leads us, we are to go, right? In in ministries and the opportunities that he's given us to serve and to do so faithfully and wholeheartedly. At this point, it might be easy to kind of, as you hear that, think, well, yeah, he's, he's writing to a pastor type. These are words to pastors. And, and, and certainly I get this. You might think, I don't have a ministry. I don't have a calling. But can I just say, nothing could be further from the truth. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have a calling and you have a ministry that God is put in front of you. There's stuff, there's, there's work that he has given to you uniquely that he has not given to anyone else. It may be different from me, it may be different from Timothy, it might be different from the person sitting next to you, but each one of us has a calling, has a ministry, has work that the Lord has put before us. For instance, who is responsible and called by God to love your wife or your husband? Is it somebody else? No, who is it? Us. It's it's me, right? Say me. me. It's me, right? You're uniquely called to that. <laughs> who is called to serve and to love and to reach your roommate or your classmate, students? It's you specifically. Me, it's me, right? Me specifically. If you have kids, if God's given you children, who's called to disciple them and to love them and to shape them and to lift them up and help them become all who God has called them to be who? Whose responsibility is that? Me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How about this one? Who is called to follow the, the promptings that the Holy Spirit whispers to your heart? You know what's interesting about that is I'm a pastor, so all kinds of people will come in and talk to me different times. I'm amazed at how often people have a prompting from the Holy Spirit where God says, man, see this thing over here? I want you to meet it. And they come in. They sit down in my office. And they sit down and they say, you know what? You God told me what you need to do. Right. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I, I love single moms, right? But that's probably not going to be my gig, right? I mean that's not right who I'm gonna reach. I'm not gonna start a women's ministry. I'm not gonna, do all kinds of things that I am not called to. If God has called that, called you to that, then go and do it, right? You're responsible for answering and responding to the Holy Spirit's in your life. It's you. It's a, it's a specific niche. It's a specific calling. It's a specific ministry that God's called you to. He's put you specifically in classes and in dorm rooms and in neighborhoods and in jobs and in families to be a witness, right? to carry out a specific ministry. Yes, you'll have opportunities to reach people and impact people that I never will. And he hasn't called me to. So Paul says, be faithful to live that stuff out. When God prompts you, again, if the prompting lines up with his word, right? Let's keep that in mind. Keep it perspective. But as it lines up with his truth and his word, would you you live it out? Who's called to to manage your finances well? Me. Me. Who's called? I mean, there's so much that God has put before you. Live that out with passion. Live that out faithfully, submitting it to the Lord, of course, and following the Lord and carrying out His mission today, tomorrow, all the way through the middle game to the end. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do these things? He wraps it up, says it pretty subtly, but I love, I love how he says it. He says, "You know what? First of all." He reminds us that there will be a day when we have to give an account for our life. We'll stand before a righteous judge, right? One who knows all. And we'll have to say, how have we lived our lives? Have you lived your lives? Well, and we'll have to give an account. And he says, man, to those who are faithful, they will receive a crown, a reward, a medal, so to speak. There is in store for me, a crown of righteousness. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, Paul says, but to you, right? But also to all who have longed for his appearing. All who have been running that race and fighting the good fight and keeping the faith. There is in store for you a crown of righteousness. Friends, I don't know where you're at with God today. I'm not sure specifically how He might be speaking to you, but maybe you're here today and you're kind of new to this whole following Jesus thing. <laughs> and maybe you're like, "Man, I, I just—I don't—I'm not running the race. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm not fighting the God. I don't even know what you're. talking I, I came to church. I'm just sitting here. What do you want from me, man?" And I'll just say this: Can I just—can I just say, for just a brief bit, God has a specific race for you. He has a specific crazy about you. In fact, the Bible makes it clear he loved you so much that he died for you. He died to bring life. He died to make you new. He died to bring you into his family. And he says, man, for any person who would open up their heart and their life to me, they would just simply cry out, Jesus, I need you to come and forgive me. I need you to come and be my God. Come and lead me And God. I'm yours. I'm in. He says, if you, if you cry out in faith like that, buckle up because I have good plans in store. I will bring you home and you my family. I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll lead you and guide you in your God. Friends, if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do, do it today. Open up your heart and life. to you. Maybe you're here and in all honesty, there's stuff that's, that's going on. There's stuff that's going on. You're in the middle game, right? You might have started well, but there's stuff going on in your life and the temptation is for you to get tripped up. Right? There's temptation. saying, man, I ways the enemy is trying to take you out to keep you from finishing. Well, get an amen from the front row. <laughs> <laughs> but the enemy is working to try and trip you up, and maybe today the Lord is just is just calling. <clears you to throat> me. I know it's hard, but be free. Don't get tripped up. Don't turn aside. Don't don't substitute something, a lesser God. For the one true God to to turn aside to whatever's been said, would you open up your, would you run your race well? Maybe there's a sin or a temptation or an addiction or whatever else that you've kind of found freedom from in your past. And you're going through a hard season and you're tempted to turn back. You're tempted to head back in that direction. And maybe this morning God is saying, man, endure it. Stay me. Keep following me. Get help. Do whatever you have to do. to stay faithful. Over the long call. Maybe there's something specific that God's been prompting you or, or somebody to reach out to or somebody to pray to, or somebody to whatever. Right? Maybe there's a ministry that God's put in front of you. And you know it. You know exactly what he's asked you to do. And you're tempted. Busy, I don't have enough, I don't know enough, I don't want You're tempted to ignore it. Maybe the is just saying, You hey, man, it's time. Go after it. Be faithful until and live out the calling that I have for you. Whatever it is, friends, our my heart and my prayer for us during this entire series is a movie, people who are characterized by that fruit of the spirit calling. Just that you learn to follow him. After day after day after day to the end, you get to hear those words. 12 done good and faithful servant." you'll be, you'll be living for the day you receive the crown. Let's close the prayer. Father, that's just our Christ so this we thank you that uh, you are faithful to us, like you talked about in We morning, that even when we're not faithful, you still are. We thank you for the race that you have put before us, of following Jesus, not just religion, but relationship, of learning to follow us, We become like you, and pray for your glory, for your pleasure. I pray that as a church, Lord, you would teach us to be faithful. Today, uh, in areas where we're battling, where we're tempted to yield to sin and old patterns and whatever else, God, would you, could you help us, to give us future? protect us from settling, even just dis- being disqualified. Instead, Lord, would you strengthen us to live lives full through you? In our teens, in our 20s, in our 30s, in our 40s, in 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and 80s, and 90s, and however long you give us all of the